Hey, this is Sam Stone with CBR here with the latest edition of Dynamic Duos with Ed Piscor and Jim Rugg. You might know them as the uh, as the hosts of Cartoonist Kayfabe. And of course, you know, Ed's got a new volume of Hip Hop Family Tree, the Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus coming out. Um, Jim's got Street Angel, Princess of Poverty through Image Comics. Um, you know, and you guys have been self-publishing through Patreon and that sort of thing for, for years. Guys, th thanks for taking the time to sit down with me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Sam. Thanks for having us. Yes, yeah. sir. No problem at all. This, you know, for, you know, people who aren't aware, this year marks the fifth anniversary of Cartoonist Kayfabe. <laughs> like, like how, in fact, you know, Ed and I were talking before we were rolling, like, this month in terms of just recording time. Um, you know, looking back on it, how has that whole journey been? It's been pretty it's good, been, man. Uh, it's... <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry, Ed. <laughs> Um, it's been interesting because as you, you know, realize when you go back five years, like that includes uh, COVID lockdown, <laughs> um, you know, it includes us adopting a daily schedule. It includes us bringing on like interview guests. That was something we didn't have initially. So there's been a lot of evolution and uh, a lot of real life around it. One of the things that, that was great from my limited point of view is doing it through COVID. It kept something steady and it kept like interaction uh, at a time when I know people were struggling by not having those two things in their life. And we heard from a lot of our fans that, you know, kind of found that to be a welcome thing to be able to wake up each morning at 9 a.m. and see a new video or listen to us talking about comics. Uh, you know, it's a brief escape, if nothing else, for a very strange time in all of our lives. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, sometimes I feel like it's been a lot longer and sometimes I feel like we've just started. The the, the culture has has reached a point where you're if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. And comics takes a while to make. Uh, you know, you're, you're lucky if you get a book done a year. Uh, it, on a good year, I might get, you know, 120 pages done, tops. And, the, you know, that might not yield an entire volume of stuff. So uh, it is it is pretty much death to, uh, or at least it's tempting fate to allow your uh, your your brand, you know, your comics to kind of, sit sit back on the sidelines away from everybody's uh interest or point of view uh until you inevitably have a book come out and stuff and then and then you know you do your promo or whatever so with that in mind and you know it was david hyde who hooked up this this conversation with you guys right now mm -hmm. and i've been working with david for for 10 years pretty much you know with the with the hip-hop family tree box set back in like 2014 and seeing how the game is played from his end and the opportunities that he brought up for me uh, that that helped me like kind of boost the signal, uh, it became clear that like I like I gotta have my own version of that. Like I, I gotta have something where I can I can boost my signal, I can have control over it and you know keep people appraised of the work. And uh, you know, the best way on the internet I think to do that is to be very, very giving to uh to the audience you know everybody could smell a rat whenever you're just on the hustle and and uh you're you're just you know totally self-promoting so uh to do these these episodes on the channel where we you know dissect things we have a bigger point but you know we're gonna talk about our own stuff too and just let people know what the heck we're up to uh so it's been it's been super valuable 
I mean, when you look at something that's like, you've got 500 some episodes just public. <laughs> like, I think 1500. Over a thousand. Yeah, 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 sorry, yeah. 1500. 1500. Sorry, at a, at a, at a exponent, exponent by, by that. The, um, like, what are some of the things that you've learned and like noticed across like, you know, talking about Frank Miller comics or talking about Mike Mignola comics or, or having like Howard Chaikin on the show? It's it's a funny at the, at this point I could uh, look at my my work that I've done over the years of cartoonist kayfabe's existence, and I could see direct correlations between episodes we might have done, you know, that week and the pages that I drew at that time. Uh, so so that's that's one of those things too, where where I consider myself a student of the game, and um always in learning mode and so like you know learn from the best uh so by kicking it with jimmy and looking at these comics that we dig under the microscope as we call it having an extra uh brain an extra fresh set of eyeballs uh to point out things i might not have seen and vice versa heck of an education heck of an education and there are a lot of makers in the audience and i think i think they get the same vibes yeah and it's interesting with the three uh artists that you named sam is I've gotten to a point looking at these comics where I almost think if you make comics as a two separate writer and then an artist, it's almost a different medium or art form than when you have one person doing both as a cartoonist. Um, that's really become like reinforced over five years of looking at this stuff because you're able to seamlessly draw what you're thinking of as the writer, you know, if you're the same person as opposed to doing it in a collaboration. I think that's pretty interesting. And the other thing with the three names that you that you mentioned there, these guys are innovators. And I think that that's really, really important. And it's not something that if you look at the comics industry, you have two directions. One is we're going to mine what already exists until it's completely, you know, leveled and then we'll rebuild it and mine it again. And there's a lot of success there. You know, there's been, I don't know, 500 Batman movies. I'm not sure, but it seems like they all have his origin. But the piece that stands out to me always as we go through this stuff, and sometimes those comics are great, but it's usually the innovators, you know, the Frank Millers, the Howard Chaikins, the Mike Mignola's. And I think that if you look at like their position in comics history, that stands up. You know, I think it's beyond subjective. If you were to list a bunch of the top books or the top comics or characters or or creators, I think the majority of them are going to be these writer slash artist cartoonists. And so that hunger to innovate as opposed to like repeating, I think is something that I've kind of I probably thought it going into this, but I definitely have had it reinforced as we've talked to some of these guys. And also as we've just revisited some of the works over time, you know, it really stands out. I think the magic of cartooning is usually it's coming out of that kind of singular vision. You know, and you were mentioning the guests earlier and, and, was there ever like how was that incorporating in that into the show? Was there ever the anxiety that you'd be bringing Yoko Ono into the White Album sessions? <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's not the case, man. You know what it is? It's it's like uh, rather than that, because you know a Yoko that that would be like a third wheel host type character, and these are just guests. So it's closer <laughs> to when Letterman is candid about the guests that he brings on and how some people like. He'll praise Tom Hanks, who brings the ruckus every time, and uh, they always do something, some something in, like innovative, cool, some kind of skit. And then there's the danger of like, you know, some a drip coming through or something like that, which which you know really hasn't been the case. Uh, but the impetus for that, I mean, it was something that we had in mind, but we were like very lazy about it, and we didn't pursue it that much. It was just like you know, this is a possibility. 
But it was Todd McFarlane who reached out uh, to us. And we didn't even have that big of an audience at that moment. Uh, we might have had a couple of thousand, maybe not even 10,000 subscribers. And he reached out himself and was like, hey, I'll be on your channel. So then it becomes the task of like figuring out how to even do that kind of thing. Uh, Jimmy and I were not in the AV club when we were in in school. You know what I'm saying, man? So like all of this is learning on the fly. And I think that that part is that, that rawness is evident. But, uh, you know, I did a series of episodes with um, with my friends uh, looking through uh, Miracle Man comics. And that was really me just kind of shoring up and going through a bunch of tests to make sure that I don't lose Todd McFarlane interview, you know, like you, if something tells me you might not get uncle Todd a second time if you screw it up that first time, man. So uh, it's been pretty, it's been pretty cool. It's a great addition. And uh, in the spirit of education, like the, really the last people I'm looking to learn from are people who teach comics. Uh, I'd rather learn from people who have skin in the game, who actually, you know, apply things rather than are like book learning folk. So that's that's part of my selfish motivation with uh, talking to to our guests. You know, and I did want to talk about some of the books. I mean, you know, Ed, you're still doing like Switchblade shorties. You can get them first through pa pa Patreon, if I can enunciate today. And you know, you've also done Red Room since the since the show launched. I mean, Jim, you've been working on Street Angel for as long as I've known you. Um, like, and you know, you've got. Octo Brianna coming out just in time for the, you know, for all this, like what, what, how is it like kind of coming back to your own creative comics, having like dissected them over for 1500 episodes of Cartoonist Kayfabe? The majority of the time is spent, you know, at the drawing board. We, we tend to do these episodes in batches. So it's usually one day of work a week. It's a long day, but it's designed to maximize the rest of their time, you know? So the majority of the time is definitely spent at the drawing table as opposed to at the microphone. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that hasn't changed. Like that was kind of the plan from the beginning. The channel was always going to be a promotional outlet for the comics that we make. I would say that building the audience has changed. Maybe the way we can sell comics, um, probably the options that we have along with just technology of comics has changed. You know, when you think of, Everything we can do publishing wise, like I started making comics 25 years ago. And if you were doing indie comics, that meant you were working in black and white. Um, you know, the, the limits were were vast compared to now. And those limits now, they don't exist anywhere, you know, in terms of sales, distribution, promotion and production. It's all completely opened up. So, you know, looking through these comics, talking to other creators, like it's just adding tools to the tool set, really, you know, seeing what other people are doing, like Ed mentioned about. There, there is this vein of comics education out there now. And I often wonder, combine that with like comics being accepted as legitimate, you've taken away some of the trash outsider culture elements that I liked. You know, all of my teachers and, and parents and family hated comics when I was growing up. And that was part of the allure, you know, it's kind of punk rock or something like that. So it's neat to talk to these guys or to look at old comics and see like before it was standardized in any way, everybody's solving their problems in some creative, unique way. And there's a lot to be learned from that. You know, you take pieces from everything. You get to a point where like now I have a million influences as opposed to when you start out and, you know, you have three guys that you really like. So that's that's kind of been a side effect in some ways from the channel is just that exposure part. You know, I'm sure I'm reading more comics in the last five years and some stuff that I wouldn't have been revisiting, but they all have some lesson. And sometimes that lesson is don't do this, <laughs> uh, you know, but a lot of times it's it's those old comics. Like I say, they're solving problems in creative ways 
So you might see the same problem over and over, but it's completely different depending on the cartoonist and how they approach it. Speaking to uh, Jimmy's point about, uh, you know, losing some of the some of the grittiness, the street cred and all that, uh, that that was the exact inspiration for the Red Room comic that I've been producing the past couple of years. Uh, we developed a healthy audience, of course, on, on the channel, and uh, I wanted to put it I wanted to put it to the test with an idea that would be totally polarizing. Uh, there will be people who are absolutely not on board uh, with the kind of horror elements, the, the gory aspects and stuff. And I, I do feel like so much of the art of comics nowadays, certainly with the younger generations, uh, there's a lot of checking of boxes to make sure that, uh, you know, it's, it's palatable uh, across the board, which is, in my mind, the antithesis of art. So it's like, let's, let's uh, nut up. Let's uh, have a little less fear about, about people roasting you or something like that. And let's do a comic. And knowing that it'll be polarizing, let me put this audience to the test and see if I could, I could hustle a, uh, a comic under those strictures. And, you know, a couple hundred thousand later, uh, it's, it's proven to be a pretty valuable uh, platform. And with the stuff I'm doing now, which is going to be a daily strip, you know, the plan for 2024 for myself is daily YouTube video, daily comic strip. And uh, to, to, to really put out, you know, a, a bunch of stuff that is, you know, pretty rigorously labored over. Uh, I'm talking to you guys right now, working on strip 100. You know, there's no there's no time for nonsense. So uh, the, the 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 platform has proven to be uh, extremely valuable, and you know my interest is in growing those numbers exponentially. Sure, I mean you know you both come from the self publishing, you know come come from a self publishing background, like like Jim was saying. And Jim, I remember once you visited, like, you know, you were here at George Mason and, you, you know, you had kind of explored the printing presses and stuff that we got here. And But like how like and you've both done I mean, Ed, you've done you, you've done stuff with Marvel. Like how was it? You know, how, how important is it keeping that DIY versus DIY aspect in, in your in your work? How closely embedded is that to your kind of creative process? When it comes to the work, it's everything. Uh, like I'm not very interested in, in collaboration. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make the comics I want to make. And I didn't spend a lifetime learning to make comics to listen to anybody. So, so every subject matter is on, is on the table. Uh, while we still have a comic industry of sorts, there are publishers out there and there are people who have warehouse space to hold inventory and ship it to stores. I'm, I'm going to take advantage of that and I'm going to keep building the biggest audience I possibly can using that vector because when it all goes away, when Steve Jeppy cashes in his chips and is like, you know what, I'm done. I don't need this headache anymore. You know, when DC, when DC, you know, time Warner does the, uh, checks the books and is like, this is hemorrhaging money. If you see comics, then, then I'm going to start really like just doing the cottage industry thing. And, uh, we part of cartoonist kayfabe is creating a buffer between myself and and the the industry quote unquote of comics where these venues go away like we ha we have this this platform where we could still bang bang the drum and do our own thing man so creatively and where i'm at 100 100% creative and i will solicit and uh you know break off profit 
to to uh, to a publisher that I consider to be worthy and to who I consider to be sound, uh, so that they could handle some of that other stuff. Because when I got started, I was a self publisher for you know self preservation. Like it was just I had no other option, and like I did big numbers with with my stuff. Man, I, I sold like around thirty thousand copies of my self-published WYSIWYG from my mama's basement. And that was a heck of a grind, man, because I'm, I'm, I'm shipping comics all day and I'm uh, making comics all night. And I'm not, I'm not eager to get back to that kind of shit. Like I would like to, you know, not stuff envelopes and just be 100% creative. But if it comes down to it, we got the kayfabe uh, channel and could always uh, let people know what we have going on and then, you know, handle business accordingly. Yeah, and I'm kind of on the, I think, total opposite spectrum. If you lined up the way we're selling comics now, I feel like we might cover every sales outlet that's currently being used to sell comics, which is kind of cool. I think it, it works a lot on the channel that way, you know, of us being different and coming at this stuff from different angles. But I love all this stuff. Like, like I used to say the easiest way to hire me for a job was to offer me something I haven't done before. And that hasn't really changed much. So, um, you know, I just continue kind of like looking at what these outlets are. You had mentioned Octobriana earlier. That was a Kickstarter that I did a couple of years ago. And um, I had wanted to do a Kickstarter for 10 years just because I went, oh, that's kind of a, a new tool to try out. And I just didn't have anything that fit, you know. So by the time I did it, it had been around for a decade. But we have so many of those tools. Like you mentioned um, Switchblade Shorties. Man, Ed, that's a tough one to say three times fast is uh is being serialized on ed's patreon red room was serialized on his patreon so you know you have all of these outlets platforms um distro methods and we both love history of comics a lot of the channel covers history of comics one of the big history things that was revelatory to me in the last 20 years like once i started making comics was how much distribution affected the content like whenever the direct market becomes viable in the early 80s that's when you get love and rockets. You know, that new distribution model completely allowed new comics to be created that, you know, are some of the best comics that were ever made. They just wouldn't have, couldn't have existed when newsstand was your distribution model. And now we have all of these different distribution models, patronage models, um, you know, all of these different things to try. And it's, it's kind of amazing. Like you can apply the creativity that you apply to a story or to a drawing or to a design to every element of the business now. And it kind of surprises me that that we haven't seen anything too outrageous coming out of people just because these tools are robust. You know, it's almost a level playing field. I was thinking of uh, James Jean is an artist that I that I like and follow, and he would make these beautiful art books. And at some point he just started publishing themselves and distributing them through the regular book distribution channels. And at that point, there's no limit. There's nothing that you're missing out on if you can have your book distributed by all the major book distributors. And if you can control all the production stuff, like, why not? The other one that I look at was Taylor Swift. You know, like, she's sort of a modern G.I. Joe for me in that she has concerts, she has music. Now she has movies that she's producing and distributing herself. Like, it's kind of cool on a self-published comic book level to do self-publishing, right? You know, it's a way for me to make, uh, to sell a thousand comic books and actually make profit on them. But that's also scalable. You could be the biggest entertainment act in the world, like Taylor Swift. What do you think her cut of that movie is compared to if she had gone through a studio, if she had gone through that traditional system, you know, so it works with however many zeros you want to line up, you know, past that decimal point, like 
it works great for a billion seller and it works pretty well for a thousand sellers. So it's kind of kind of interesting how much power we have now. You know, I like I follow the NBA and I think about like the player empowerment stuff. We are living in a time where like cartoonists could can have that. You know, we can control every element of our work in terms of how it's distributed and exploited. So I want to do that. I want to explore that stuff. Um, I kind of find it as interesting. I find it more interesting than some of the comics we look at, to be honest. The um, Jim, you, you you know, like I was saying earlier, you've been working with Street Angel for a while. Like, how is it like, do you just kind of like, kind of sit like, oh, this would be a really fun situation. <laughs> like, like how, how was it kind of like maintaining that, that love for the character and kind of finding new directions for like, you know, all these years later? It comes and goes. I do other projects, you know, between books. So it's almost like I'll do a clip of Street Angel stories and then, you know, go do Hulk grand design or Octobriana or something. And in that time away, the ideas continue. And um, I just have, I have a writing partner, Brian Maruka, and we have a, uh, a shared folder of, geez, I don't know, 200 story ideas in various stages of development. So you just keep a record of this stuff. You know, I have sketchbooks and notebooks that I work in. And if something comes up or I see something that kind of, you know, seems like a, a germ of an idea or even a complete idea, I'll just record it. And then whenever I have time, you know, you revisit this stuff. Whenever I did the um, Image Comics free comic book day, Street Angel comic, that was a story that I had developed. And then it was like opportunity, you know, and a lot of times that's what happens is you have X amount of time, you may know what the format is. And then it's like, what idea do I have that I'm excited to do for right now? And, you know, you kind of go back into those sketchbooks or whatever. So, yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know, man, it's not a problem figuring out ideas. It's much more of a problem of figuring out one idea out of, you know, maybe 100. Sure. You know, and the hip hop family tree omnibus is like you get the chance to see everything collected together. And I I remember going through the Smithsonian uh, a couple of years ago and seeing hip hop family tree in it like you know, as a kid from Pennsylvania, like how is it seeing all of this and like seeing it all together in this big, beautiful package? Yeah, all the all the satellite stuff that comes with Hip Hop Family Tree was su- such a such a pleasure and such a treat, man. Something I definitely don't take for granted, and uh, that's that's something that like you know family can understand whenever whenever they see, you know, the the big uh, cover for Hip Hop Family Tree right next to Eddie Van Halen's guitar at the Smithsonian for some music exhibit, like. That's that's something that that they they get, you know, like the fam might not understand me just sitting around drawing comics all day. They, they don't know what that is, but you present a book to somebody and they, they know they know the deal. Uh, I think it was literally a Facebook memory that came up at the beginning of the of the year that made me realize that it is the 10 year anniversary of the first published uh, volume of of Hip Hop Family Tree. And, uh, you know, that was a very transformative life-changing experience for me, man. Like I, I was, you know, just in the game for probably close to 10 years at that point, really. Uh, but pretty, pretty obscure, you know, and, and really fighting tooth and nail for, for work and to make ends meet and things like that. So it's sort of the 10 year anniversary of being out of, you know, abject poverty and things like that. Like I have a lot of shit wrapped up in, in that. And, uh, when, when I take a look at all that work at once inside the, the hip hop family tree omnibus, uh, which is the best book I ever made, by the way, man, I hope everybody scoops it up. Uh, I look at that and it's this very personal scrapbook 
of sorts where I, I just know where I was every day on every single one of those pages, you know, 10% of the last chapter is drawn on airplanes and in um, Denmark specifically, uh, you know, traveled the world thanks to, to that comic, uh, got to meet so many of my, uh, you know, f- favorite rappers, probably, uh, my greatest collaboration is, designing those public enemy action figures with, you know, my favorite rap group when, when I was a little scrub kicking it with Jimmy and them for the first time, like since I was 15 years old to like maybe 25, every single t-shirt I had was a public enemy t-shirt. It was just kind of a a thing I would do because that that group was so important to me. So then when my favorite rap group reaches out to uh, design their action figures, like that's a, that's a, that's such an honor. Um, So it's it's fun. I, I think about comic generations and there have been people who have like I'm old enough and hip hop family tree is old enough that I get comments on social media from people who are very well meaning and they tell me how they've been reading hip hop family tree since they were a kid. Uh, and that trips my head out. Right. Um, so I, I imagine that there's the potential for a whole bunch of new readership now. That, that the book is, you know, 10 years old, maybe, maybe some stores, you know, it's constantly in print, you know, it's 11, 12 printings at this point with the first volume, but put a new, uh, new coat of paint on it, put a whole bunch of new extras in the mix and then present it to a whole new generation of, uh, of comic reader. Yeah. You know, when you're doing something like Hulk grand design or X-Men grand design, which are also, you know, deep dives of history and everything. But, you know, how do you keep how do you keep that kind of like DIY aspect and that that kind of spirit to it when you're working with like licensed like corporate characters? It was you it was so simple. Yourself. Yeah, it was it was so simple with Marvel, because like when, when I set up Grand X-Men Grand Design, like I had all this stuff that I wanted. And it's like, don't put don't print my stuff up on that crappy ass glossy paper that you print all your other books up on like have the trade be hip-hop family tree size the biggest mistake i made was was allowing everybody to call it treasury edition when it's really hip-hop family tree size comics man there's there's it's different and uh if they would have said no to any of that uh because marvel really doesn't do contracts all like that like i'm not exclusive i wasn't exclusive with them or anything like that and and you know they gave me a rate before and that just kind of carried over. I could have stopped at any time if I felt like stuff was fishy, but I probably would have still done the comic and just put it out on social media and might have even gotten a bigger audience than I did by putting it out with, with them. So I, I like I was in a in a position of power because I do make you know the comic entirely myself. So if at any point stuff would have got tricky and I would have felt like you know they were um, sabotaging it. Uh, I would, I would have just bounced and, and, you know, thankfully we did mutually good business. I have no complaints and, you know, like we, there's a new trade coming out with, with the entire trilogy. So they're keeping it in print and can't ask for much more than, than that from, uh, from the corporate overlords. Jim, how about you with Hulk? Same deal. If you do have it all yourself, like, I mean, literally DIY stands for do it yourself. So, you know, that's pretty much what it was. Marvel was very hands off on, on with me. I don't know, Ed, if that was how they were with you, but it was pretty much like we set up deadlines. And as long as I was turning stuff in, it was mostly like, good, good, good. 
um, you know, not, not, nothing that was, they weren't nitpicking, they weren't, um, you know, editing anything really. And so it kind of was like any other comic that I would make, except that who I'm sending it to, you know, whenever I had a bunch of pages done or whatever. Um, so it was fun, fun experience. As Ed said, it was a good experience overall. I have no complaints about it. Um, but in terms of keeping that DIY quality, I mean, if you're writing, drawing, coloring, you know, designing, lettering, doing everything yourself, it would be hard not to keep the DIY part, you know? Yeah. It, like establishing the, the, the grand design stuff uh, with Axel Alonso and pretty much everybody who works there at this point is like, that would have never happened with anybody but Axel. Uh, you know, he was, he was willing to, you know, take interesting chances and stuff like that. And, and, you know, X-Men Grand Design bared plenty of fruit to, to, you know, bring a couple other guys into the mix. But uh, when we set it up, there was, there was no deadline. There was nothing like the dude, they, they, they signed me up and uh, there was no plan of anything. It was just like, okay, see how long it takes to, to get some stuff done. And it was my suggestion rather, rather than theirs to like break it down into these two issue segments. Cause like I was signed up for six and it took maybe a year and a half or two, two years to, to get that first section done. And, uh, you know, it took like a year and a half. And then I was like, uh, you know, San Diego is coming up. Why don't, why don't we just do it in these two issue blasts? Because I think it'll take probably a year to do two issues, 80 pages. Uh, and they were totally cool with it. And then that, you know, that establishes the, the format, uh, that, that Jim and, and Tom put together. Two issues, 40 pages a piece, big old trade afterward. If I had one complaint on it, I wish we would have had more of the promotion on our in, in our hands. It's something that uh, you know, went through. Like I like, mentioned about you'd have a bigger audience if you ran it online. And it's it's hard for me to understand why Marvel opposes that. You know what you know what though, man? Like I, I like I don't know what the deal is with and, and maybe it's the Axel thing because during my work on that project, it went from Axel to CB. Like I woke up to a text from Axel uh, saying, you know, job well done. I'm on to bigger and better. But part of my rules for playing around with those dudes at, at Marvel was uh, you have to let me have a have a, my own publicist, man. And once again, circling back to David Hyde, the guy who set up this conversation right here. It's like, nah, man, I have to have David Hyde on the, on the hook because... I'm a student of the history of comics and uh, I think about stuff like uh, Jimmy, we covered it and it was an issue of, of wizard where Neil Gaiman was talking about doing that Alice Cooper comic for, uh, for Marvel. And then finding out years later when he was writing, you know, doing promotion for American gods, that Rolling Stone magazine was like looking to do interviews to promote that Alice Cooper comic and Marvel like intentionally prevented that from happening. Like they said that they will not actively, you know, they're not, not in a business of promoting individual talent and X-Men grand design. That's all me. Uh, so it's like, I have to be able to promote this thing and, and put it out there because I'm not going to be orphaned by the publisher. Um, because, because in effect, like what, what could happen is if you, if you break it down, you know, I had at that point, I went from volume four of hip hop family tree directly to X-Men. It could have been a situation where, because Hip Hop Family Tree is super lucrative for me, I could have done a fifth volume, a sixth volume. It could have been a situation where they just take you out of that game and then give you peanuts to make this X-Men comic and then you're not doing your real shit. 
Uh, so I had to make it work for me. Um, and then when, when CB takes over, it was still that hands-off vibe, but the fact that they don't let you get um, a publicist on the hook or something like that is, I mean, it's a definition of whack. I have one more thing, Sam, on that topic. We looked at um, the creator's Bill of Rights, which was an 80s thing that uh, Scott McCloud and Dave Sims, Steve Bissett, Eastman and Laird, some of these self-publishers and, and indie artists kind of got together and laid this, these ideas out. And a lot of them, I'd say it's kind of a thought piece. You know, if you're coming into comics, it's a good idea to give it a read because it'd make you think of some stuff maybe you wouldn't think of on your own, especially at the beginning. And one of their things was the right to promote the work that you make. And it's funny that that's a piece in contracts, you know, how, what you can show, what you can say, who you can talk to, like some of that stuff is really draconian in the contract stage. And uh, we often, you know, talk about this stuff as much as we can, you know, in some cases they're NDAs and you really can't discuss some of the finer terms. But I do think that it's something that, you know, we've said several times on the channel and I would continue to tell people is like, that's a that's a thing to keep in mind when you're going through your contracts and you're asking for stuff before you sign those contracts, because it does allow you to show off the work on your own channels. It allows you to promote yourself in conjunction with the work. And um, who, if the person you're partnering with or the company you're partnering with isn't interested in promoting the work to its maximum, I mean, that might tell you a lot, too, about who you're getting in bed with in business. Yeah. yeah, man. Like right, right now I'm working on this, this daily strip, this forthcoming daily strip that I plan to put out January 1st of uh, 2024 switchblade shorties is the, t is the title. Right. And I'm already in talks with a major publisher, uh, you know, New York style publisher, not, not a comic publisher. And uh, one of the things that was imperative because, because I know people that, serialize some stuff online and then they get hooked up with a publisher who discovered their material from the serialization online. Uh, they, they make the deal with the devil and then the publisher tells them you can no longer serialize the thing and wait for the book to come out. That very old, you know, 20th century logic that, uh, you know, the old timers bristled at when the internet really came into prominence. And so like the conversations that I'm having right now, and they're totally like, they're so on board. Uh, I told them I have to still serialize this thing online. Every single page of this comic is going to be available for free online. And they were like, oh, dude, you're doing us the, the favor. You're doing us, you know, promotional services. Uh, you know, we can't put a price tag on that. That's, and I was like, well, you know what? I can put a price tag on that. <laughs> but but uh, they're totally on board. And uh, it's just crucial. And once again, like that creator bill of rights, you set this stuff up, you establish your boundaries and what needs to happen early. And then, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you, you have, you have a good business relationship, you know, for, for the bulk of my professional career, it's been that way. There've, there've not really been any surprises, you know, from hip hop family tree forward. And, uh, I think that comes from communication. And I think that that comes from just, just, uh, knowing what's out there. And that creator bill of rights certainly co comes comes into play and you know we have so much it's 2023 we have a lot of years of of uh the internet and world wide web being being out there you know there's there's no stopping it so it's like we have to get those guys to think of uh, just different promotional models and not to be so withholding uh because that that just 
it does. I, I could, for every one thing that you uh, point out that might have just come out of nowhere and gained massive success, I could probably point to 50 things that went viral online and then, you know, achieved a final form in, you know, whatever medium of, of choice. I was just watching something with comedians uh, having a conversation, and one guy was very excited about uh, like a Netflix special, that, that this comedian had a Netflix special. And the comedians were like, no, nah, we do that for the boomers. We do that for the the old heads who still think TV matters. But none of that kind of stuff happened like out of out of thin air. It, it happened because I went viral on YouTube. You know, it happened because I have a TikTok and uh, I do, you know, I, I specialize in this one goofy kind of TikTok trend. So there there's the gatekeepers are 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 gone you know and we have a lot of control and you know starting with hip hop family tree every single page of that is online for free and uh we're we're coasting way past 500,000 copies of that you know since since uh the channel started i was like doing the calculations i had to pay a lawyer all that kind of shit i'm doing the numbers it's like i got a million comics out there and uh that is that is not to be taken lightly and so so much of that comes directly from being able to signal boost it myself. Certainly when you work with these publishers, they have a publicity person who's responsible for promoting the entire catalog. Like my my hip hop book has come out the week after Dan Clow's Monica. You think you think Fanta's giving me any juice, man? All of that <laughs> stuff goes directly to Dan Clow's, man. So so uh, you know, they got David Hyde to hook me up with a, some stuff like this, which I'm very, very thankful for but the bulk of it is you know my my own doing with with kayfabe and you know streaming online and showing off images and all that kind of stuff so we have a lot of control and i I really do believe that the game is 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 the individuals to lose and uh it's it's up to like are you willing to go above and beyond uh are you sitting there thinking that you do you make the comic and then that's it you know leave it to the fates to to sell your stuff uh, I'd like to promote that idea to everybody else, man, so that it makes my job easier. That's for sure. <laughs> we should be kayfabing some of these messages, Ed. Yeah, right. <laughs> I always, I always kind of saw this episode as like a crossover, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's kayfabe, like dynamic duo CBR, like crossover. No, it, it, it's funny because because like uh, you know the email that you guys sent uh, with like talking points and stuff, and it's yeah. like I got about three thousand hours on the record with this guy right here, man. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, we, we could, oh, we could handle that, but, uh, but Sam, yeah. that's not uh, diminishing your contribution. I appreciate it a lot, man. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. There's some, I mean, you know, without naming names, like there's some guests that just need the, you know, need the, need the juice, but I, totally. mean, yeah, I know you guys have been in the game for a long time. I mean, you know, I, I got into CBR cause I had a podcast where I talked to you about X-Men grand design, where I talked to Jim about street you know, street angel and, and everything. And so it's, it's almost like a full circle moment for me. Yeah. Good for you, man. Congrats. <laughs> the, um, I guess in the spirit of, in the spirit of promotion and, you know, I think let's, let's kind of close out what, what, what can readers look forward to next in the cartoonist kayfabe and the, and the comic book projects you guys are putting out. I have been uh, self-publishing some zines and comics lately, and I'm actually putting those on sale for the first time online um, tonight at midnight. So that'll be up for as long as supplies last or maybe for a week. Uh, 
basically I'm calling it a pre-holiday sale. So it's a 1986 zine, a BW zine and true crime funnies, which are some nonfiction comics that I've made recently. And uh, in November, Street Angel Princess of Poverty will be in stores from Image Comics. Pick that one up if you haven't already. It goes with, uh, it's kind of the, the set, the matching set for Deadliest Girl Alive. And that collects all of the Street Angels uh, comics I've made so far, those two books. And um, after that, you know, it'll be like wrapping up the year and then getting into uh, next year. And my plan is to keep making self-publishing comics because I've kind of enjoyed that as I talked about earlier. Uh, but you can follow us on Cartoonist Kayfabe every day of the week and uh, keep up there as well as our social media. I'm going for I'm going for two million comics now uh, out out in circulation. Uh, I'd like to try to hit that number sooner than later, man. So so uh, the things that are on the docket at the moment, of course, we talked about it. The Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus. One of my thoughts is, man, I'd like to see that go out of print in in 2023. I think that that would be a nice Christmas present everybody could do uh, for me. And I think we're uh, more than 75 percent of the way there. Uh, it's only been a week too, so super appreciative of of that. Uh, there's going to be a new Red Room trade coming out in January for the Crypto Killers season of, of Red Room Comics. And uh, very, very excited to to launch this strip daily. Uh, Switchblade Shorties is, is the name. Uh, right now, I'm working on strip 100. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get a big buffer so that I can put these out daily and then, you know, allow life to, to sort of run its course, but still be reliable with uh, with the strips. And uh, I'm serializing it on, on the Patreon right now. Uh, I look forward to putting it out next year. And what I'm going to do, the way I'm going to distribute this, is to uh, put it on the Kayfabe social media, my own Ed Piscor social media. Uh, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, maybe do like a line webtoon channel, uh, page, whatever you want to call it. It seems to lean way more towards uh, manga style, but it will give it a shot. And then probably once a week, I'll do a reading kind kind of video where I show the images and then make a video and put it on uh, cartoonist kayfabe like on Saturdays, uh, kind of like a Saturday morning cartoon or something, and just see what we could do with this. You know, we, I got this big platform with kayfabe. Uh, my own personal um, Instagram has has just kind of blown up since since doing kayfabe. So uh, let's let's see, you know, like I uh, am firmly of the belief that, you know, complain little and, you know, action items. If, if, if something is if you want something, then you just got to make it. And I like uh, daily serialized adventure comic strips. They haven't made them in decades, but I'm in a position where I can take take the gamble. It's a big goal. It's a big uh, it's a tough goal, but. I'm very, very much looking forward to uh, putting it out there, and I hope that uh, hope that the audience supports it, and I and I hope that uh, you know it does well enough that it gets other cartoonists to uh, to deign to put together like a really kind of serious serialized comic with some some rigor and some craft to it. You know, and is next year a leap year? Did you do you have? Do you have to do 366 comics? <laughs> I'm up for it, man. Like, like every, everything's revolving around the strip at this point, man. So, so uh, with that in mind, like I'm able to do a strip a day and, and, you know, breathe. So I've, I've nudged myself. I've given myself enough of a boot camp. I was hoping that over the course of a hundred pages, I would figure out a way to do that. 
and uh, it, it seems it seems to be the case. And there's no there's no um, loss in quality. If anything, I think it, it looks better. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll take on all comers, man. Let's let's create a new kind of year that has 367 days. It's all good. Okay, hey, Matt. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, go over that international dateline a couple times, Ed. Head into Japan, head into Japan in, uh, in November, man. So, you know, my year is going to be 369 days long. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. 14-hour time difference after. <laughs> anyway. Hey, one, one more, Sam. I'm going to be yeah. at uh, Big Apple Con December 16th. It's my first show in New York in a long time. So, uh, New Yorkers, put it on your, on your calendar and catch up yeah. with me there. And there you have it. December 16th, Grand, you know, Big Apple Con. You can check out Jim Rugg. And at that point, he'll have, you know, Street Angel, well, Street Angel Prince of Poverty will have been on the shelves. So, you know, be sure to get it and get it signed. Cartoonist Kayfabe, you can check out new episodes every day. And uh, keep an eye out for, for uh, Ed's uh, short, uh, switch, it is a hard term to say, Switchblade Shorties, <laughs> available through Patreon and every day through 2024. It's been another installment of Dynamic Duos. I'm Sam Stone. Guys, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, thanks so much, Sam. man.